So this idea of just like pulling yourself up and starting from scratch, well, number one, I would say like each and every one of us on a daily basis, we've got to be praying to God mm-hmm. to give us the, uh, the thought and the motivation to do anything at all. But then secondly, also, we need to recognize, again, pulling ourselves up from different places. How do we export from affluent communities that knowledge stack to the more impoverished communities to enable all people to, um, I don't like the, the phrase, but pull themselves up. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Myron Thomas, in for Byron Tyler. I'm Myron Thomas, pastor of Innovation Church Memphis, executive director of the Leadership Empowerment Center. Been doing work here in the city of Memphis now for almost 25 years. We'll be celebrating our 25-year anniversary this year in September as a nonprofit, uh, we'll be celebrating nine years this year as a local church, Innovation Church. And I'm just excited to be hosting this show on today for a good friend and brother of mine, Byron Tyler. Just excited. We, we have some great information for you here. The topic is leadership in the city. I'm a huge fan of leadership, a huge fan of leadership, so much so that we changed our name of our organization to the Leadership Empowerment Center because that's what we do. We empower youth to become leaders of leaders. And today we have an amazing friend of mine here by the name of Jerry Corliss. How you doing, Jerry? Man, on top of the world, Myron. How about you, buddy? <laughs> Man, doing good. Doing good. So, so happy that uh, you could be with us on the day and, uh, and I just wanted to to bring you on to share with the city of Memphis, to share with the world what you share with me all the time uh, over <laughs> breakfast and lunch and just in conversations. It's a pleasure to talk to you when when I'm around you, man. I always leave uh, energetic and better and excited and, and pumped and ready to go and take on the world, man. Once we likewise, my man, yes. likewise. So um, let's have a conversation. We're talking about leadership in the city. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, your upbringing, and just just talk to us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, My dad was a policeman in St. Louis. He's now retired and lives with my mom in Mississippi, just about 15 minutes away from us, just across the Tennessee line. And I would say as it relates to leadership, uh, my father was a police captain, was at one point the director of special investigations, another point director of internal affairs for the St. Louis police, and if there's a person that could raise you with principles of leadership, it was my dad. He's a man that was uh, he's faithful, hardworking, and holds himself and others accountable. And so I was definitely raised in a leadership environment at home. You and I met about five, six years ago. We were we were doing a men's conference with Innovation Church and Grace Evangelical Church. Yeah. We met. We were supposed to be. We, we, we were on a panel together, and we began to talk, and, man, we just – had a connection like none other. And, you know, you share some things on the panel. Uh, I invited you to breakfast. We had breakfast and the rest is history. Been on ever since. <laughs> it's been on, <laughs> you know, and one of the things I think it was at that breakfast uh, that you shared with me about your dad, because we talked about a lot of racial reconciliation and the problems that's been taking place in our cities. You look at the Trayvon Martins, you look at the uh, Mike Browns and just so many um, tragedies that's taking place in our nation. And, 
man, you have a very uh, level view of everything, which is so important. I think in, in this day, just very conservative, but, but you're on point and you're on target. I feel, you know, as it relates to racial issues in our city, one of the things that you share with me that I would love for you to share is about uh, your dad and what you experienced with your dad. I think it was a, it's a conversation that he shared with you about pulling a man over, um, he was in a situation. No, yeah, I, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So I would say that number one, both of my parents raised us with the understanding that regardless of the color of your skin, everyone's blood is red mm. and nobody wants to see their shed. So we were raised in a home that taught equality and that God created all of us, uh, man, woman, black, white, and we are equal children in the sight of God, our maker and creator. And then, you know, just experientially with my parents through the years, there were some, you know, as I look back on it now as a 45-year-old male mm-hmm. and everything that's transpired even in recent years in our country, just uh, the experience with my parents and really what you learn through experience. And I think what you're referencing was there's a story that I know about my father when he, he was almost killed as a policeman. Yeah. So he's he's by himself. He's Someone has, has committed a robbery and he's chasing him in this car and chases him down a what turns into ultimately a dirt road and then finally comes to a dead end and and he gets out and he's arresting the one man. This is told by my father to me. He's arresting the the man and uh, trying to the handcuffs on him and did not know there was a second person in the, in the car. That person jumped him from behind and was choking him from behind and the, and the guy who was on his front was reaching for his gun and my dad, I remember him telling me, he's like, man, I just, the guy was choking me, but I had to keep my two hands on that gun. I couldn't let him get that gun out. And he said, we're rolling around, you know, it's St. Louis, it's in July, it's a hundred degrees and we're in this dust. And he said, and son, uh, those black dots when you're about to pass out were coming from the corners of my eyes, but I could hear in the distance a siren. And I just kept telling myself just to hold on, just to hold on, stay awake. And this state trooper pulled up with a shotgun and saved my life. Mm. Only now is, you know, all these decades have gone by since I heard that story. And I realized my father never told me the color of mm. the men that were in that car. And so it's just one of the ways that, you know, our, our parents, I think, did an incredible job of, you know, displaying. You don't create problems where there aren't problems. And, you, you know, you model and you speak equality. Praise God. Joe, what do you do for a living? I own uh, 50% of Capital Financial Group which is a financial planning and insurance and investment company. Okay. Okay. And and how did you get involved in it? I went to the University of Mississippi from high school in St. Louis and uh, majored in business there. And, and just as I was honestly interviewing for jobs, you know, with my father in law enforcement and with my mother and she was an administrative assistant at a state farm office. I didn't grow up in a business family, so I did a lot of interviewing. I was just trying to find something that was a, a match for what I felt were my strengths, which is uh, I like the academic environment, but I also pretty social person. And I understood that doing this kind of work, you know, you got to solve problems, right? Financial problems, there was, you know, kind of the, the analytical side of that, but then also you got to interact with people and talk to them about that as well. And so that's how I got got into that business. Now, as we talk about leadership in the city, you know, uh, once once you and I got together, you agreed to serving on um, the Leadership Empowerment Center's board of directors. Tell me what got you involved in working in the inner city, in the city of Memphis. 
Well, again, if we go back to my childhood, you know, you take childhood experiences all the way through high school, through college, and then just as an adult male in our city for these last you know, 24 years, those cumulative experiences. But, uh, you know, one thing I go back to is I was taught in my childhood, which was it was the time of the Cold War, that I'm an American and that there's no cap. There are no limits on what I can accomplish. I'm in the greatest country in the world and, and I can accomplish anything. And that's the great thing about being an American. We're free and, and we can pursue our dreams. And that is true. But then also, as I got older, came to understand a second truth, which is that while we all have the opportunity to pursue anything in this great country, we all don't start in the same place. Mm. And by the grace of God, I was put into a position where things have gone well, but I recognize that there were people that God used in various places and times in my life to enable the growth of things, and that I'm called to be an agent, agent of the same. Right, so there are kids in Fraser that aren't starting in the same place as even I started. Mm-hmm. Certainly aren't starting in the places where my kids are starting. And how do we work to levelize the playing field? Mm-hmm. Right, to have everybody starting more from the same place, so that that opportunity that we're all taught that we have, everyone has an equal chance to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. That's what got me, you know, juiced about being a part of LEC. So we hear a lot about this, Jerry, about pulling yourself on, up by your own bootstraps. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. Equal opportunity. You just gotta, you gotta make it happen. What, what do you say to that? Just with that mentality. And as you have worked with kids in Fraser for um, now over five years, what do you say to that? Yeah. I, what I would say again is that I think that, um, number one, this idea of pulling yourself up by your by your bootstraps is is really in conflict with the spirit of humility. So anything that we do, God gives us the ability to. He gives us the mind. He gives us the work yeah. ethic. He gives us the, just even the generates the thought that mm-hmm. we would pursue things with all, all of our might that He's given to us. Um, and then the second thing I would say is I heard this definition of technology some time ago, fairly recently, but it was really interesting. And I want to read it to you. It says, technology is the sum of any techniques, skill, methods, and processes used in the production of goods or services. So that's not the way that we traditionally think about technology. And in and, and that definition of, of technology, it's really talking about the stacking of knowledge over the course of time. And so if you think about certain households, there's been a tremendous amount of of knowledge stacking through generations, right? And that, that really helps propel the next generation if they add in their work ethic, right? It's not a free ride, <laughs> but if they add in their work ethic and their effort and their heart, their spirit, you know, they're starting in a place where knowledge has been stacked through the generations. And so if you're starting in a place that's, uh, you know, I would consider more of an island, like what Frazier is, there is certainly much more to learn from an academic intellectual standpoint in terms of the way that the world operates and how to succeed in it. But then beyond that, there are the relationships to generate. There's the network to generate. There's the understanding of, of healthy habits around finances. A lot of the things that happen naturally around the table mm-hmm. in other communities aren't happening around the table in Fraser. And so this idea of just like pulling yourself up and starting from scratch, well, number one, I would say like, each and every one of us on a daily basis, we've got to be praying to God mm-hmm. to give us the uh, the thought and the motivation to do anything at all. But then secondly, also, we need to recognize, again, pulling ourselves up from different places. How do we 
export from affluent communities, that knowledge stack to the more impoverished communities to enable all people to, um, I don't like the, the phrase, but pull themselves up. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. Um, and I know you mentioned um, people not having the, the, you know, there's a different conversation for the most part that's at the table of a kid that lives in Frazier than your kitchen table. You share some things with me, man, that I feel that is so important that I would love for you to share with the world just about what are some conversations that you have with your children at the kitchen table. And one of the things that you shared with me was it was it was, it was so empowering to me because you mentioned that, hey, I want to share this information with mm-hmm. kids in LEC. Sure. You know, with kids in Frazier. The same things that I share with my kids, because, you know, to be honest, Jerry, you know, just as we've talked over the years and as you've gotten to, you know, grow deep relationships with kids in our community, you know, you know, some of those conversations at, at the kitchen table or the lack thereof or the conversations that um, are being had in the house or that's not being had in the house. The realities that so many of our kids experience because dad is not there or mom is on drugs or mom's working, you know, two jobs and just the the whole environment, you know, that they see there's a message that's being sent to them and there's no true empowerment and true conversation and true father figure, a true godly father, godly family structure that a lot of our kids um, have to endure. And it blessed me when you said, hey, I want to share these things with the kids at LEC. Can you share some of those things that you share at the kitchen table with your kids? Sure. Just an example of, of some of those things. We're actually, uh, for our oldest son, we have four four children, and our oldest son is in college now. And, you know, I guess probably about nine months before we took him to college, I started to write a book for him. Hmm. And it was on my own personal experiences with God. So you wrote a book for your son? Wrote a book for my son to accomplish two things. The first thing was to testify to my personal experience with God and the specific scriptures that God had really used in my life through the successes, but more, more so the trials and how I came to understand things like, you know, where, where it says, um, all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. And a lot of people use it like everything's going to turn out. And, you know, and I wrote in that book for my son, like God does everything for the good of our soul. He may kill us for the good of our soul, right? Because what God's concerned about is is our soul for eternity being together with him and he's a covenant keeping God. And so just communicating those kinds of truths that I've that I've personally had experientially with God, the scriptures that were meaningful, and to in addition to prayer and the covenant community and the Bible. To also give to my son, hey, this is my father's own experience with the Lord God Almighty, our creator and maker and defender, the lover of our souls. So that, he, you know, as an, as an additional exhortation, you know, for my son to pursue that same type of intimate relationship with God. And the second purpose of the book, it was called The Guide to College and Life, was to shorten the learning curves uh, that I had experienced. So in other words, these are the things that I've done in my life's son that were really bad decisions. Just a raw and honest, open itemization of those things and exhortation to avoid those things or how to manage those things better. And then also the things that worked well, right? And, um, for example, I don't know how many books that I've read in my adult life, but quite a few of them. But there's 15 of them that absolutely – there was a a book list in there. 
Right. And so these are some of the things that conversations around the table that when we have families uh, that are together, you know, under God's design for our lives, right? These are the types of things that can, again, really minimize the pain and shorten the learning curves on the good. Another thing that was interesting just in terms of conversations around the table, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm in the financial business and I'd talked about a particular financial concept just off and on throughout the time, not necessarily intentionally to teach it to our children, but it was interesting, you know, maybe six months ago, I'm, I'm sitting around our kitchen and I read an article and I said something out loud as it related to this article. And my daughter said, well, but dad, blah, 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 and responded to what I had said and just nailing the right perspective on that financial concept. And she was 11, right? And so I think it was just really an aha to me. If we take children in impoverished communities that don't have the type of family structure that we have, what are they missing out on? My daughter already has one correct perspective on how to interact with money as an adult, that you don't have that if that conversation is not happening around the table. And so Mm -hmm. I think that uh, that was one of the reasons why, as you and I have had conversations, you know, we were intentional about identifying what are the types of conversations we have around the table and how can we bring that same level of conversation to the kids at LEC. That's so encouraging and so empowering, you know, just just doing work in the inner city, Jerry, for 25 years. And uh, what kids see is using drugs is the norm, being involved in gangs, the norm, going to um, underserved schools is the norm. You know, you and I was talking about, you know, a kindergarten. Once he gets into kindergarten, he's already behind because he didn't get an opportunity to choose who his parents were going to be. And so, you know, his mom and dad didn't read to him. When he was, you know, one in the womb, you know, so to speak, one, two or three. So he gets in kindergarten. He's already behind. He's behind third grade. He's totally behind. So now he's a seventh grader. You know, just to paint that picture, what he sees now is he sees drug dealing. His older brothers and sisters are, you know, involved in gangs. He he see his dad possibly incarcerated. His mom is there, but she's working two jobs to provide for the family. He's in school. And so now he has a, he has a choice. Do you join a gang or do you not join a gang? With with the lack of family structure, what does this guy do? I mean, and you mentioned this to me before. You said a kindergarten doesn't think, hey, you know, when I turn 19, I want to get killed. When I turn 19, I want to go to prison forever. He doesn't think that in the kindergarten, you know, but but when this is his structure and this is what he see and this is what he's exposed to, oftentimes that becomes the reality. And so those conversations are really good. And I want to personally thank you just for coming out to, 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 to share with our youth and for giving of your, your, your time to that. And I know we, we, we'll get into that, but just as we talk leadership in the city, man, the things that, that we talk about and the things that's actually taking place is so impactful because we're not just talking about it. It's you and people like you that are giving of your time, your talent and treasure to make a difference in this city. And so I just want to let you know, man, I, I appreciate that personally because it's making a difference uh, in the heart of, of the Frazier community here in the city of Memphis. I appreciate it, man. Now, and I would say too, you know, for one of the things that I love that LEC is doing, right, as we think about leadership in the city and what does that look like, an interesting thing happened that caused us, LEC that is, that caused us as a board and a, as an organization to add some specific initiatives. And one of those things was one of my, oldest son's friends 
reached out to me on LinkedIn. Remember this, Mike? Yeah, I do. I do. And so he reaches out to this, you know, kid that's a junior in college reaches out to me on LinkedIn and, and, you know, asked to be connected to me. And I'm thinking, like, what is this kid sending me this LinkedIn message yeah. for to connect with me? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. He's thinking, I'm going to get out in about a year and a half and I need to get a job. And I know my friend's dad does something in finance, right? And so he's forming a network. And that was one of the, another one of those things that really hit us. You know, if we think about leadership and we think about levelizing the playing field, mm. right? You levelize the playing field in things like uh, conversations around the table and how much of that can we share. You levelize the playing f- field by taking kids who wouldn't normally graduate high school, whose parents didn't graduate high school, and not only do they graduate high school near the top of their class, but they go to a four-year university and graduate. Mm. Right? That's single-generation change. But that's also, we recognize from a leadership perspective, that's baseline, man. Like you come back to Memphis, you've gone somewhere, and it's a big deal, and you know, one generation, now you've graduated high school, you've graduated college, and you come back, and you don't know a soul. Mm. And so what do you do with that degree? You know, And, and I think universally agreed upon in the United States now that an undergrad degree is a baseline just to get your foot in the door. Yep. And so that was an aha that we need to do more beyond education. Um, one thing is that LEC was already doing that, that was just, uh, you know, as an eye opener to me. Um, but, you know, for anybody that listens to this, this is a great way to get involved was just professional exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, as you pointed out, the kids in Fraser, all their friends, parents are not doctors and lawyers and financial people <laughs> and bankers and accountants and business owners. Right. The wealthiest person, maybe, that they're around deals drugs. Right. And as you assimilate to the culture that's around you, for a lot of us, that's why a lot of people that grow up in more affluent communities want to grow up and be doctors and lawyers and accountants and own businesses. Right. But if the most affluent person around you is a drug dealer, you grow up to be a drug dealer. Right. (laughs) And so one of the things I love about LEC is the professional exposure, how you all take people to, to different companies and expose mm-hmm. them to, you know, how do you and have speakers out? How do you become a doctor? How do you become a lawyer? What's the pathway to that? Different kinds of businesses, what degrees you get in order to do those. You know, in one of the specific talks we had over the summer, you may remember, you know, I talked to them. One of the things I talked to my kids about that there's, there's, there's five categories of work. And I tell my kids, Hey, in order of, of what I would hope for you, this is the order. Number one, if you have a ministry, if you have a calling, fulfill the calling. Answer the calling from God, right? In the absence of a specific calling, number two, I'd like you to own your own business because of the, the freedom of your time that you have to spend with your family and in your community and the things that God calls you to do, the opportunity that you can give to others, business ownership. Number three, if that's not your calling, I'd like you to be a professional. It's a predictable, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. A financial person. There's a typically a compensation schedule that you can take care of a family on. It's a predictable uh, path. Number four would be sales, right? Because the, there's no ceiling on that typically, and you have freedom of your time. And number five would be hourly working, right? And and not that there's anything wrong with any of those categories, but in terms of you know my heart's desire for my own children. And so you know we talk to the kids and trying to help them understand the path to different places that they can end up with. And then finally, you know, it's just this whole idea of networking. How do we equip the kids at LEC, kids in Fraser, so that when they're in college, they have a community of people in Memphis and around that they can send LinkedIn invitations to connect with? How do we make that happen? 
how do we expose them to these individuals? Obviously, you know, that's part of the work of our board, you know, and for people that are listening to this, Myron will give the, the contact information for Leadership Empowerment Center, LEC. But, you know, reaching out and these kids, I'll also say, you know, these kids have come to our house, right? We've had a, a swim party at the house. We're going to have some more of that this summer. And the best testimony of the work of LEC are the kids themselves. You know, these are bright, engaged, hardworking, polite, sweet kids that want to see a great narrative for their life. And, uh, and they need more connections in the city of people that can give them just a fair opportunity, right? Not looking for anything that they don't work for, but we need networking opportunities where they've got LinkedIn invitations to send out where they can have summer internships while they're in college, where, where people will get to know them and their character. Just like I've told the kids, like you got to know me and I got to know you because if I'm going to call a friend and I'm going to vouch for you. I need to know who you are. I need to tell them you're going to be good. Jerry, what, what would you say to an individual who really want to get involved in, you know, in making this city better, you know, but just they're hesitant. They're hesitant about getting involved. What, what do you say to that individual? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the title of this is leadership in the city, right? Yeah. And one of the things that leadership recognizes is that there's something wrong as leaders if we're not uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean that we're uncomfortable all the time, but you got to be uncomfortable some of the time. And part of that is, you know, just expanding out of our typical community, right? I don't care whether you're black. I don't care whether you're white. I don't care where you live. I don't care what business you're in. You get out and talk to people. And what we find out is that we are all indeed, just as the word says that we are men and women created in the image of God. And at the end and the core, we all have the same desires. We're all very similar and that we want to have love. We want to have family. We want to have friendships. We want to have fulfilling work. And then we're going to find that. And so, you know, this is one of those things where, honestly, my honest response is, like, you got to suck it up and get uncomfortable and make a contact. And then, you know, like most things that are uncomfortable for a minute, it's rewarding and fulfilling in the end. Awesome, man. So, Jerry, tell the listeners how can, if they want to get in contact with you, how can they contact you? The best way would be my personal email. Uh, it's Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, Corliss, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, at Outlook, O-U-T-L-O-O-K dot com. All right. And if you want to contact me or you're interested in the Leadership Empowerment Center, you can go online to lecmemphis.org, www.lecmemphis.org. Listen, we're coming back with more of this because this is amazing. I think it's important for our city. So thanks for listening to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Myron Thomas in for Byron Tyler, and I hope that you have a great day. God bless. I'm Byron Tyler with a special thanks to our guest host today, Mid-South Viewpoint, on the air now for 36 years. Today's show is available on our website at botradionetwork.com and on podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. 